All right, guys, we are here with another Five Point Friday installment. Today we are talking about Arch Manning, Big 12 news. You know, going to dive deep into that and just see, you know, hey, it's media days. Uh, we had that. Who's going to win the Big 12? That's kind of the question. And then we got a special question for, you know, my guy Ty Hayes and my guys, you know, Jance down there. Texas or Texas A&M, who's going to make more or more noise this season? And as, I'm glad we have SEC friends in here to kind of shed some light on uh, a team that, that is near and dear to their hearts. So uh, definitely want to say that. Uh, Miami recruiting. I mean, are they recruiting at an all-time high or, you know, what's going on with that? And then realignment news. There's definitely some things we, you know, some updates that we want to provide you guys. And, again, this is Five Point Fridays, which is just kind of to rehash all the craziness that's happened in college football this past week. So today, got my guys on here. Uh, I will start with you, uh, PG. Go ahead, introduce yourself, plug yourself, and then we'll just go down the line. Uh, yeah, for those of you who don't know me, uh, I'm Preston, uh, host of the PG Show, talk about all things college football. Uh, got a lot of great things going on. Uh, but yeah, that's about it. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, YouTube at the PG Show. All right, y'all, what's up? I'm Ty Hayes with Around the Table Sports. You can come to my YouTube channel. I'm probably uploading a video that day. I have little to no life outside of college football, and it's a little bit of a problem, but it's a problem that everybody here kind of enables me to have. So it's it's a great situation, but I'd love to have you part of the community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, shout, well first of all, shout out to Chris for, for letting me on. My name is Jan Sports. You can find me on my YouTube channel, Jan Sports, uh, Twitter, Jan716, Instagram, Jan Sports as well. Also, you can check me out on the Buffalo fan base uh, YouTube channel or, or or whatever podcast you have, whether it's Twitter or on Facebook. Glad to be part of that community. And, uh, yeah, man, got a lot of special things cooking out. Uh, we're going to Bill's training camp, uh, talk with the players and stuff like that there. So, yeah, man, you know, for the most part, everything's uh, looking well. But, man, yeah, Chris, thank you for allowing me to be on your show. No, I appreciate you guys for coming on with me, man, for sure. Everybody, you got to follow us. You got to come and check us out. You know, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this show before we just dive into it was simply because it's cool to rehash rehash everything after it happens because we talk about it on Monday and then on Fridays we get a chance just to come back and say, damn, okay, now here are the updated facts, right? But anyways, guys, let's go ahead and jump right into it. And I will start with PG. Okay, Arch Manny. You know, we got the Twitter spaces going crazy right now with Arch and I. We got... Everybody basically coming out and saying he's not a five star. And if you take the name away, he may be a high three star, maybe a two star. So I'll start with you, PG. I mean, what are your thoughts about Arch Manny? Oh, muted, hey, brother. Yeah, your mic is muted, bro. <laughs> your mic is muted. Oh, I had go. a. I had a cough earlier and I had to mute. So <laughs> um, I said it's hard because, um, you know, as an OU fan, you know, with Lincoln Riley here, uh, we had Malachi Nelson um, and Malachi Nelson. I still to this day believe is the best quarterback in this class. I think he's a better dual threat quarterback. Um, you know, I, maybe it's a little bit of bias that since we weren't recruiting him and then, you know, when Jeff Levy and the team came over here, we offered him, but you know, honestly we were too late to the game, but I, I mean, from everything that I'm hearing, I mean, I don't think he is a five-star. I mean, he, I don't even think he's his size is what he has going for. Him. I mean, he's six, four, but I mean, he's not too tall. I mean, how, I mean, 
Peyton was six five, but I mean, I, I I don't know. Like, I just don't think he's going to be able to like you know gunsling that ball down the field. You know, I don't think he's got you know uh, the size to play in the NFL. I, I I might be wrong, but I I just don't think he's the best. I mean, from tape and film, um, I think you can make an argument for any of the top five quarterbacks over him. So, Ty, what are you thinking? So I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant because this one actually got to me a little bit because I've told you, Chris, what my biggest pet peeve is bad arguments, right? And I'm not going to say the person who started all of this, <laughs> but their base argument was bad and flawed. And within their own statement, they completely tore apart their own case because they went from saying art should be quarterback number four in this class to then in the same statement saying he should have no offers to saying he should be a zero star to a three star. So whenever somebody goes about making that many claims and they're all over the place, there's probably a level of, I don't know. I, I don't know what I want to call it, but like that in and of itself, like that was already a red flag to me. I was like, all right, you, you have no clear line of where you're going with this. He's the number five quarterback. He's a three star. He's a four star. He's a zero. Where, what, what are you trying to say? At the end of the day, I, I do disagree with Preston because we see quarterbacks going into the league right now that are sub six foot, like six foot one, six foot two. He's six foot four. So I think he does have the size. He'll, he'll grow in a college weight room. Um, but here's my thing. We talk about he has his fifth star because of his last name. We also need to remember that Arch lit the nation up his freshman and sophomore year. Everybody anywhere was talking about Arch Manning. People were making videos highlighting the throws. I get he didn't compete at the Elite 11. Look, in a perfect world, I would have loved for him to have been at the Elite 11. I think everybody would have. But at the same time, he did go to Clemson's camp and really impressed Dabo Sweeney and them there. He had throws going viral and plays at that Clemson camp go viral. And what's more, he's already set to play in the Army Bowl here coming up this year, which is going to feature Nicholas Iamaileva, Malachi Nelson. I mean, you're top players in the nation. So he's obviously not scared of competition because if he was really worried about competition, I think he'd rather play at the Elite 11, which is just T-shirts and shorts as opposed to live action football where a five-star defensive end is trying to make a name by sacking Arch Manning. So, look, do I think that he's the number one quarterback in the class? That's not my point. My contention isn't – because I do agree, Preston. Like you said, Malachi Nelson, I told you I have Nicholas Iamaileva. I I love that kid's game. I think that's the number one quarterback in the class. I think there's a super strong argument for Malachi Nelson. I just think when Jeff Lebby, Nick Saban, Dabo, Kirby, those guys aren't worried about nepotism. Right, these are great football minds. They're not just after Arch because of the last name. He obviously can play football, or else these guys wouldn't have offered. So that's kind of where I sit. I think that a lot of the attention that goes to Arch's way, we could say that his last name is the reason he has the rating he does, but his last name's also the rating reason we're all sitting here talking about him and all the negative attention is brought upon him. Jance, what about you? What do you think about Arch Manning? Well, for, can you hear me? Am I good? Yeah. Yeah, you're good. You're good. Okay. Um, well, he, Ty's not gonna mention the name, and maybe I'm not. I'm not gonna say. It. I mean, I think we all kind of seen the the tweet and the stuff that was uh, going on kind of over there. But this has kind of been an argument that's been going on um, for a while about whether, if not, Archie Manning is gonna be, you know, if he's the real deal or not. I mean, 
you know, to sit up here and say that, you know, Arch Manning is, you know, he would be a three-star even, or I, I've heard somewhere say, well, he's a two-star recruit because, you know, of the Manning name, I think is absolutely ridiculous because it's not like Arch Manning isn't going to, you know, it's not like he's not going to any camps competing. Like, you know, he's going to a lot of these camps, whether if it's private, whether if it's going to uh, the team's camps, such as Alabama, Clemson, you know, the fact of the matter is that, you know, uh, from what we've been hearing from a lot of these national, you know, these quote unquote national recruiting experts, you know, they, they, you know, they have been the ones that have kind of hyped them up. They have been the ones that have, that have, you know, quote unquote evaluated him. And it's not just them, but of course we all know the universities evaluate quarterbacks as well. Um, but they have been the ones that have kind of told us the information about, about his skill set. So it's kind of funny how some of these other quote unquote national, uh, you know, recruiters that have been in the recruiting service for such a long time are now the ones that are, you know, coming out of the woodworks and saying that he's not that type of person, that he's a two-star and three-star, but yet just, you know, not, not that long ago, a couple months ago, you said that he was the guy. So, you know, it's just, you know, I, I, I'm going to be honest. I think some of it is, is for clout because all of a yeah. sudden when you take a look at this guy um, who made that who made that tweet, who talked about him, all of a sudden now he's getting, you know, he he's, talking, he's now talking about how he's got a lot of uh, opportunities. He has a lot of opportunities. People are deeming uh, – uh, uh, you know, sliding in his DMs and they're pretty much wanting uh, to interview him and getting on the show. And it's just, it's, you know, unfortunately we're just in this business, you know, unfortunately it's the business and the ugly side of college football. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I think in, in my opinion, from what we've heard from, from not only these uh, national recruiters, but from also from these college coaches, Arch Manning is, is, a, is the real deal. Now, again, you can make the argument that he's, you know, maybe he's not the perfect prospect. Maybe he doesn't deserve that 1000 rating because I like cause again. I, this is a really great recruiting class. I mean, you're talking about guys. You make an argument that seven of these quarterbacks can be five star recruits. So uh, you know, again, we we can definitely be in the argument for that. But to sit up here and say that he's a, that he should be a two or three star recruit because he's playing at Newman and because he just or and because he's not competing at the elite level. Odell, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Didn't yeah. Odell come from Newman? Yeah. So so here here's where I kind of jump into it. Okay. So I think that some of the things that we've heard this out of all the things that we've heard about arch manning uh this week i think one of the things to highlight or excuse me one of the words to highlight is progression okay so i think that's kind of where some people i, I would say like more of the adept football minds not the ones who are just kind of focused on just just the stats but just kind of seeing the the production and the and the progression is there a steady progression or is there a slight decline get what i'm saying because a handful of quarterbacks you could say are are way better than him i think that i think that this was i mean everything that he's doing let's just be honest from from grandpa to both uncles and his dad, this has all been strategic. They're trying to basically, you know, keep him out of the limelight and out of all the rest of that stuff so he can just focus on what's important, which is football, which is going through the motions, having another healthy year and being able to make it to Texas healthy and be able to compete for that job day one. You get what I'm saying? Because we still, the verdict is still out on Quinn Ewers. Now, as an OU fan, okay, I think that is perfectly fine to kind of knock Texas. Texas fans want to say, oh, well, if he was coming to OU or if he's going to anybody else, you guys would be ex ex excited. But we're not knocking Texas. Yeah, we're knocking we're not, a 17-year-old kid. Yeah, we're knocking a 17-year-old kid. But I think that some – I think that, well, some people are just knocking Texas because we go down a long list of hit, you know. Oh, well, yeah, you guys had Vince Young and – and um, and uh, 
guys, uh, Colt McCoy, but you were also really excited about Shane Buchel. You was all you were also really excited about Tyrone Seuss. You were also really excited about David Ash. You were also really excited about Chris Sims, and that was kind of lackluster. You get what I'm saying? So you just kind of look at their court. I mean, I saw a comment today where a guy was basically saying that Quinn Ewers and even Arch Manning are better than the uh, than any quarterback that OU has had in the past decade. And I was just like, come on, man. I mean, are we are, are you're just mad right now? You're just mad. But I definitely think that it it, you know, I saw shout out to my guy Steven, fanatic perspective. Shout out to him. I saw his video today uh, that he dropped. And I, I thought he had fair points, I thought he had valid points. However, I thought it was funny that he was trying to compare this to like the number one recruit in high school basketball right now for the 23 classes, the one Wagner Jr. Okay. And he was saying, well, his 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 grandpa was uh, played in the league and his dad played in the league. Yeah, but it wasn't like they were Hall of Famers or this and that. But on the same token, just just to say, this kid has competed at high levels against everybody. Yeah, I mean, plus he's playing AAU basketball. He's playing in EB, EBYL leagues and all the rest of that. He's playing against top talent. We haven't seen Arch do that. So I think the problem here for the Mannings is just a simple – or Arch Manning and, and, well, and Jill. we haven't that. seen it, but the coaches yeah. have seen it. They've seen it at the camps, the Clemson camps. Yeah, I've seen the Clemson tapes. I've seen different things like that. Here's my thing. The last time that I saw Arch play, that I really sat down and watched Arch play, I remember I was kind of channel surfing, and he was playing on ESPN. It was was against Berkeley Prep. Yeah, it was his soft. It was his sophomore year. Is that game or another game? But either way, that was junior. Was junior? Yeah, I think. Well, I watched his sophomore. I watched his sophomore year. I watched his sophomore year. So I remember in that game, he had already thrown for like, I think probably a little over like 200 something yards, had two touchdowns, nothing really major, but I mean, he showed you the tools and and that everything was there, but late in the game, he just started, he just made really bad reads. And so I attributed to the fact, I mean, he's a young quarterback. He's a sophomore, you know, in high school, he's not like he's a senior or, you know, upperclassman or whatever, but he's a sophomore. He took some chances. And I mean, he ended the game, I think with like, they were blowing the team out, but he ended, he ended the game with like two only two touchdowns, but like three picks, something like that. I had to go back. So the whole thing is is, is this right here is that I don't necessarily say he's a wild a wild card. I don't necessarily say that he's not a five star. What I would just say is that you know, like Texas as a whole, all this talking that everybody is doing on that side, talking season is almost over, hmm. and he's only going to have so much time. I think one of the things that Texas – I think one thing that we definitely need to point out is the fact that Texas is kind of setting themselves up for failure because who is to say that Quinn Ewers doesn't go out here and look like the guy that they really want going, which is who? Hudson Card, right? <laughs> they don't like Hudson Card that much. They say, that, oh, yeah, he's okay, and this and that, hopefully he can get better. But they thought Hudson Card was going to be that guy last year. And unfortunately, he didn't really have the best the, the best year, right? So basically my point with that, and I'll I'll give it to the floor. Basically my point with that is that Texas is kind of setting themselves up for failure because what happens if Quinn Ewers has a bad season and then here comes the arch hype? You know, what are you going to do? Sark can't go through three seasons of, yeah, we're going to play both quarterbacks. We're not going to have a starter until this, or we're just going to go flip-flop, flip-flop, flip-flop. Barring injury, you can't go in there and do what you did last year with Casey Thompson and Hudson Card. That's just my thought. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I, I want to backtrack 
a little bit on some of the things. You know, Arch is I mean, Arch is good. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm a little weary of his interceptions. Um, I think they're maybe a little high. I just don't think he's as I, I just don't think he's as, as elite as Malachi Nelson. Um, but I do think Texas fans are hurting Arch, and I think um the reason why is is you know, I think they're just expecting him to come in there and be a Vince Young-like talent. And I think the problem that I have with perfect scores right now on the composite rankings, when I think of perfect rankings, I think of the guys that I grew up watching and Vince Young and Adrian Peterson and those guys, not Quinn Ewers, who we haven't seen play a snap of football, um, or even Arch Manning. I, I just, I don't see those guys being what, you know, Art, you know, what Vince Young was. I just don't see it. And so I, I, I think there's a lot of hype buildup on the Manny name for that, you know, one for the composite score, but two for his fifth star. I mean, I, I just don't think, I just don't think he's better than a lot of these top five guys. I think he's maybe a four star quarterback at best. No, that's just, but that's just my opinion. That's just my opinion. I guess here's my question. Cause like you bring up Vince young, but, so I had someone comment this on my channel. They said they didn't feel like Arch was a five-star number one because he didn't do what Vince Young did. And my my thing to that is I think Vince is more of the exception rather than the rule, right? Yeah. Like, because he's he's not he, – 24-7 sports has him as a 98, right? So, like, uh, instead of a perfect rating. So it's going to be interesting to see where he finishes. But I bring that up to say, like, I think we get so caught up with Vince Young because Vince had unbelievable physical – tools such yeah. as his mobile ability that'd be almost like me saying just to give an example for oklahoma right and it's going to be an extreme example but the logic follows over i okay. love jack arnold I've, I've said he's a five-star quarterback since the day he committed i think he has as advanced of an intermediate to short passing game in this cycle as there is and i think because of that he's going to come in and he could be a guy day one to make mm. a difference for ou like i'm that high on it but it'd be like saying that he's not going to be successful because he didn't do what Kyler Murray did and never lost a high school football game. They're both five stars. So why did one lose? Right? Like, well, one of them isn't one of the greatest athletes that we've seen in a college environment. One of them is Kyler Murray, right? Like, so we're comparing apples to oranges and I, I get it because it's quarterback, but like there's so many nuances we have to take into account in order to make a good faith argument, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and, and I always keep, you know, bringing up the argument because a lot of people love to bring up, well, he didn't perform the best at the high at the high school level. Well, I, I look at a quarterback from a, a couple of cycles ago, a couple of cycles ago, look at JJ McCarthy, look at JJ McCarthy senior at uh, IMG Academy where he threw for 1200 yards uh, he had 12 touchdowns to only eight interceptions. And when you look at and a lot of his games were televised. He did not look the best. Matter of fact, you know, again, now, again, some people say, well, he played against better competition. But when you take a look at that 2020 schedule, the, really the only top competition they played that year was Duncanville. Besides that, IMG pretty much played against teams that were below their level. And J.J. McCarthy didn't perform uh, to that next. Uh, he didn't perform. He, he didn't perform well at all. The best game he, he had was. Uh, 300 yards, but he threw, but he threw for a touchdown and uh, three interceptions. So we've seen high school quarterbacks. Again, I went to, uh, you know, again, I, you know, shout out to, you know, uh, St. Francis. I, you know, again, I played against Chad Kelly, where Chad Kelly was, I mean, I, where he was a five star, and then they kind of bumped him down a little bit to a high four star status. But even, you know, again, Chad Kelly's senior season was not the best, but yet he was one of the most hyped quarterbacks of all. You know, he was one of the best, most hyped quarterbacks of all time. And some people could say, well, he's the nephew of Jim Kelly. But it was also, people forget, Jack Kelly dominated 
a lot of the camp uh, atmospheres that he was in. Every every single camp uh, revenue that he was in, he was he was able to dominate. So we got to take a lot, you know, into consideration. Like when you look, when you take a look at Arch Manning, you got to look at his football acumen. You got to take a look at the fact that he's been dominating camps since the since the age of 13, that he was able to go to camps like Clemson, Alabama, uh, and mm-hmm. able to perform well at a high level. And from what we've heard from a lot of these top tier high school recruits that have t- that have said really nice things about Arch Bennings and that that's you know, this is the best you know quarterback that I think I've ever th- uh, received a pass from. We got to take a lot of those things into consideration. Now, again, we can make the argument whether or not he's the best quarterback. Because like I said, I think Nicholas is better. I think Dante Moore, you can make – who, by the way, Dante Moore didn't play – he didn't play in a high classification at all in Detroit. So, yeah. you know, but, you know, for the most part, we got to take a lot of things into consideration. I think Arch Manning is a five-star prospect based off of his size, based off of his arm strength, based off of his football acumen, based off of his athleticism. Now, again, we can make the argument, again, if he's the best out of out of the bunch. Like I said, I, that's why, you know, like I referenced earlier, there's like mm-hmm. at least seven, eight guys that you can make an argument should be a five that should be in five-star status. That's how low this quarterback class is. But again, to sit up here and say from some of these "quote unquote" national recruiters that he's mm-hmm. two and three star level is just ridiculous. So, so here's here's I think here's a, a good point to point out, and, and maybe this is the final point on this, and you guys can uh, can keep going on this. But I think one of the things to remember is this right here is that Sark had a quarterback that I believe was a three star that is now the starting quarterback for the Patriots. Correct. So. I think that one of the most important points that we all have to uh, to remember is this is a waiting game. Okay, he's he's not going to make a, a, an impact on this team to possibly twenty twenty four or twenty twenty five, right? So mm-hmm. the thing that, that we have to sit back and just remember that hey, you know, whether he's a two star, a one star, a three star, or whatever the case may be, what is the ultimate goal for Arch Manning, which is to get to the league and and do his thing, right? But you got to develop. And we always talk about Texas. Texas has always had a problem over this past this past decade with developing. I mean, let's just be honest, on all sides of the ball. That's the reason why that's the reason why Sark is having to come in and basically say, okay, well, I'm going to have to build this team inside and out. Like I, I got to start inside on trenches on both sides of the ball. And you know, that's that's what he tried to address this recruiting cycle with all those offensive linemen that he took trying to take more defensive linemen and all the rest of that and hoping that he can hit home on a lot of them. Because that, that's the thing, you know, that kind of goes into one of our, our next points as far as Texas and Texas A&M. I mean, they both have kind of the same problem. It's a development problem. It's not, it's not hard for them to get talent. They can get talent regardless of NIL or not. Problem is that they can't. I mean, you're, you're having yeah, five and four stars. Yeah, you're having five and four stars that you can't develop. I mean, I'd be honest with you. I would have loved to see. Uh, I was like, "Hey, BJ Foster, quit. Let BJ Foster come to you. <laughs> you know, let Overshone, let guys like that. I feel like they would get the proper development. Granted, you know, we have our our woes as well. But I think that's definitely an important point just to remember. Is like, hey, it's a waiting game. We don't know who's gonna pop because, um, I have questions about Archman, but I have questions about the Nico kid too. I haven't really seen any game film on him. I mean, send me oh, game. If you can, but I've only seen him in seven on sevens in his pajamas. So I yeah. mean, like, I have questions about him too, you know. So Nico's upside is what's crazy, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Like that's that's why he's my number one. If you're talking about the mix of upside plus right now, yeah. Look, I think that you, I think anybody in the nation would be hard to argue with Preston about Malachi Nelson. 
right? If we're talking yeah. right now, I mean, the kid is is there. And Preston, to your point, I do completely agree. If you watch Vince Young and then you watch Arch Manning, like, and we're telling who's the one, and like, mm-hmm. if we if we had to pick who's going to be the perfect rating, it's no competition. It'd be Vince Young because Vince Young was otherworldly dominant. I just think there were other factors like his otherworldly athleticism that really helped him where Arch might not have that. He's a pocket passer. Yeah. The other thing that I think with Arch is, is he better than some of these quarterbacks that have just recently came out and gone to the league? Like, is he better than Justin Fields? Is he better than Trevor Lawrence? Like, that's the thing. I don't think he's better than Trevor Lawrence. And Trevor Lawrence didn't even get a perfect score. No, completely fair. Trevor Lawrence is really good. Yeah. No, no, no. Hey, look, I completely agree with you. that's why I, I made that video. And the whole point of my video is, look, I'm not saying he's the number one quarterback in the nation. I'm not saying he should have a perfect rating because Preston, there's an argument for Malachi Nelson. There's an argument for Dante Moore. There's an argument for, I mean, whoever you want, this class is that good. I just think that what we can agree on is the kid can play football. And look, I, I'm, I'm going to say before you move on that the guy who had this take it was rooted in a good place, right? It wasn't for attention. This is his honest take. I just think that like, even he said in some of the comments when someone pointed out like, Hey, well, why did all these people offer him? He replied and was like, yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think. So I just think it was one of those things. He's probably asked in the moment. And then Twitter is what Twitter is. Right. And like you say one Mm -hmm. thing, next thing you know, you're that Was that coming from Mike? Is that you talking about? But yeah. but that's that's the thing about it is that just like literally a month uh, a month prior he called him one of the best quarterbacks in the country. I see. I didn't see that. I didn't. Yeah, see he that. like li- like he literally made an entire report about Arch Manning. He said this is one of the best quarterbacks he's ever seen. <laughs> it's a I month. No he also said that Clemson had a good uh, QB room last year. But I look. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I'd have been wrong on that one too because I was wanting DJ to be good. It's all subjective until it becomes objective. So it's all mental until we actually see. But moving on to the next point, guys, we got just, you know, hey, Big 12 Media Days happened this week. We heard some funny comments. We heard some funny things. We saw a lot a lot of stuff. I think um, two of the more interesting points that were pointed out uh, that I, I kind of some of my big takeaways from it was, one, I watched um, I think one of the main interviews that I really paid attention to uh, was Dave Arandas. And, I mean, he's a guy that, honestly, he's soft-spoken, but you're blown away with the passion that he he's able to, you know, basically zoo just right then and there, you know? I think one of the one of the cool things that uh, that he talked about was just the fact he, he was honest. He was brutally honest in his own way about Gary Bohannon transferring and why they chose shaping to be, you know, the new quarterback. And I thought that was an interesting point. Um, uh, an interesting takeaway from that was just the fact that, man, you know, they must've saw something that they believe is going to, uh, is going to help. I think that he's going to be slow out the gates, but I think that eventually he'll be able to open it up on some people and he'll be able to make those plays. Why receivers question mark. They still have a bunch of question marks on their team, but like I always say about, about Baylor, Baylor's either either going, especially under uh, uh, Dave Aran, I think this is true. They uh, they're either going to be consistently good or consistently bad. They're not going to be great, but they're going to be either consistently good or consistently bad. I mean, it's really no, it's really A or B. Um, I think the other point that I definitely will highlight was something that I think everybody on this panel kind of felt. Um, 
was kind of the way he was leaning. Basically, Marvin Mims came out and said, hey, if Lincoln would have stayed, I would have left. I was going to lead. It wasn't enough targets as the year prior, all the rest of that stuff. So I thought that was that was a really, really interesting point. I think, Preston, you you pointed out on one of the shows that we did that that may have been one of the best, better recruiting jobs by OU as far as keeping a Marvin Mims, Theo Weiss, guys like that from, you know, staying going to the portal, staying in the portal, all the rest of that. So you won some internal uh, some internal wars inside your own locker room, you know, inside your own program by keeping kids like that. So I thought those were interesting points. So anybody else have anything that they thought about? Uh, just kind of some takeaways for the Big 12 media days. Yeah, I want to add on to your Marvin Mims point. So uh, I, Gabe Eichard said that he talked to several players and several people in that program. If Lincoln would have stayed, the exodus probably would have been worse than if when he left. So that, I mean, and, and that came straight out of Eichard's mouth. I mean, if, 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 he, if he would have stayed, it probably would have been worse. Yeah, I mean, it just, last year, like I said, Lincoln is Lincoln Riley one of the greatest minds to that we offensive minds that we've ever seen. Yes, for sure. But was last year his best year? Not by not, not by any means. You know, um, I, I, Ty, what do you think? What do you think about that when you hear that? Look, if you would have told me this a year ago, like I would, my jaw would have hit the ground, Preston, like that take. But now you tell it to me, and I'm sitting there. I don't know if you saw my reaction. I'm sitting there nodding my head. I'm like, yeah, I, I could believe that. Because when you look at it, we have to ask ourselves, would Caleb be there? I think obviously, right? Because Caleb ended up following Lincoln. But at the end of the day, what's it worth, right? Like, is it worth losing Marvin Mims, Theo Weiss, plus however many are going to exit, right? It's probably, Stogner's probably out. Rattler's out. Yeah. So you're you're going to lose a whole lot. And when I hear that, and when I hear Marvin Mims say that, plus with what Preston just said, Eichard said, which by the way, if Eichard and them usually say something, you could probably take it as gospel. They're fantastic at what they do. Great show. Yeah. But I, I have no doubt in that. Look, Marvin Mims is one of the best talents at wide receiver in college football. But if you're a casual fan, right, and you're just watching and you go to the press box at the end of an afternoon, and you're like, man, I, I want to know who the best wide receivers in college football are. If you're a casual fan, you could be excused for not putting Marvin Mims on that list because of the lack of production he had. But for those of us that know, we know Marvin Mims is one of the best players in football, regardless of position. I don't care defense, offense, special. He's special. Theo Weiss is special. Right, these guys are insane. Hazelwood, uh, look, that's just unfortunate with the injuries, right? Like I, yeah. I really hope he does something at Arkansas. That's a dark horse for me in the SEC, and I'm really rooting for him to do something big. Phenomenally talented. Hope he's fully healthy. But that's very believable, and it's crazy to me that we're sitting here talking about that because a year ago, I mean, would I, would I be crazy in saying everybody's here? Everybody here's jaw would have hit the ground. If you'd have said, oh, if Lincoln stays, we're going to have an exodus. Everybody's yeah. jaw would have just ground. But now it, it's logical. It checks. 
Well, and that's something that I think um, anybody that is thinking about going to USC, they have to be careful about, right? They need to look at what happened to OU because it's great to stockpile your talent. And this is what Texas fans need to understand. But in Texas A&M fans need to understand these players want to play. And if, you know, if, if they're not getting the targets and they're not getting the playing time that they want, they're going to leave. And I think that's the thing is, I think Lincoln, instead of saying, okay, you are our two wide receivers, you're going to be our go-to guys. He kept trying to sub people out and, you know, give everybody equal targets. And it's like, that's not how it works. Like you got to have your guys go out there and be dogs and be dominant. And he wasn't allowing them to do that. Jens, what do you think? Yeah, it's just it's ugh, it's like regarding to that whole Lincoln Riley situation, man. It is just it, it is just man. It was just literally a complete and utter mess. And ah, uh, boy, oh boy, like you know, like I, I keep trying to tell you guys about this before, man. But Oklahoma, I think you guys are in phenomenal hands because, like, impressive. You made, okay. I, I, man. I, I'm I'm just like wow. It's like the fact that if Lincoln Riley would have stayed, that the chemistry, that everything would have probably just come. It would have been worse for you guys. And you yeah. can just imagine the year after, you know, if Lincoln Riley decides to go or maybe if it stays, I mean, can't, you know, it, it's like once you lose a locker room, it is extremely hard to try to get that relationship and build it back up. So mm -hmm. the, so I honestly, I mean, the more, the more and more I keep hearing from a lot of Oklahoma fans, I'm, the more I'm more, I'm like, dude, you guys literally are in a great situation right now, regardless of what this record is going to be for 2022. It's the future that matters. It's, the, it's, it's how this team's going to look like with Venables in the next five to 10 years you know, mm -hmm. with his coaching staff, if he can continue to try to assemble some more coaching staffs, because, you know, with success, you know, obviously it's going to be hard to retain, you know, you know, the, it's, you know, it's going to be hard to retain the coaching staff, but man, yeah. I mean, you guys are in absolute and just in, in great hands. The, the, well, I was just going to say that uh, you heard a lot of that stuff around that time. You, you guys remember it. We'd be right there on Ty's show and then boom, breaking news. We get Dylan Gabriel. Boom, breaking news. Mario Williams. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was wild. <laughs> it was just back to back to back. It was always ever evolving. But one of the constants that you heard about through the back back doors was uh Marvin Mims was pretty much on his way out. Yeah. A lot of people. A lot of people, it was pretty much, it was kind of like A or B. It was either he was just going to enter the transfer portal outright or B, wherever um, it was, it was the fact that wherever um, Caleb landed, you would probably see Jaleel Farouk and Marvin Mims go because they were all tied at the hip, right? So, I mean, pretty much Stogner was already on his way out. He was wanting to leave earlier than last year. Um, another point uh, to make is that Hazelwood was pretty much gone. I know I, I heard from uh, from somebody I'm close to that, that was close to the situation. Um, that person told me straight up, yeah, no, he's he's definitely gone. And I heard it wasn't necessarily Lincoln, but Simmons had a little bit to do with that, which was surprising because, you know, everybody was so enamored with Dennis Simmons, right? But there were different coaches on that staff throughout – Lincoln's tenure that just didn't really gel well with, with players. I know another one for I know another one for example. Um, I think Trey Sermon. Trey Sermon wanted to leave, uh, possibly his freshman year. I mean, he just did not get along with the running back coach at the time. So I mean, yeah, I know. So well, I mean, there, there's been a lot I, of I made that face thinking it was Demarco. It wasn't. Oh DeMarco. no 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 no, no not not Demarco. But yeah, basically, it, it's just a lot, man. I mean. That whole thing could have went south really quick for OU. 
And for them to come in, like we talked about, for them to hold it together, I mean, it, it shows a lot. And you have to commend this staff for what they did because they won a lot of battles. Not only were they, were they able to sneak into that top 10 recruiting uh, recruiting class for uh, 2022, but they were also able to keep that team intact because you got to think, you know, there's a lot of talent on the defensive side of the ball that didn't really get to, to, play, to go last year. They didn't really get to play, you know. You're thinking that, okay, coming to the season last year, yeah, Bryson Washington should get a chance. Uh, you're looking at Kendall Dennis. You're looking at, okay, is it Joshua Eaton? Is he going to play more? Is he just kind of, kind of, you know, is he in and out, be there whenever we need? We have injuries or whatever the case may be. A guy like Jaden Davis, he didn't really get that, that much shine. You know, his sophomore and his junior year haven't really been the greatest, but now he has a chance to go out there and, and be in the fold of things, the thick of things. A, a Clayton Smith, um, uh, um, um, a Kelvin uh, Gilliam, you know, you got guys like that out there. You got some freshmen, you got some some younger players who have a lot of talent and should be able to get on the field. But you're excited because defensively you were like, OK, we're getting venable. So that means that, yeah, we should be able to keep a bulk of our uh, defensive guys. But offensively, you just didn't really know because at that point we didn't really know who the hell was going to be our offensive coordinator. We had a strong sense that it was going to be Levy, but not until he signed his name on a dot, dotted line, you know. But he was able to come and meet and do all the rest of that stuff and do everything he needed to. It was just the fact that, like Marvin Mills, it was a bunch of players, a lot of players that wanted to look at look look towards New Horizons, basically. So that that. That is one of the moments right there that we will tell our grandkids about because Lincoln Riley leaving OU basically shook the college – like this realignment stuff shook the college football world, but Lincoln Riley leaving in the way that he did, that shook the bombshell. Well, because he didn't even just leave. He left yeah. and then recruited all of the 2023 recruits he was talking to and the guys from the team. You know, there were rumors, and I don't know if you guys heard this, and I've never heard this be validated, but there were rumors that Caleb got in the SUV with him after the game. He didn't even get on a bus, you know, and, you know, there were, there's been rumors that that whole season players were bringing phones onto the field, sitting on the sidelines, texting and whatever. And, you know, I, I think there was this vibe that some of the players just did not gel, and that's why they were wanting to leave. And this is a telling tale because then Brent Venables and this new staff comes in, and you hear guys like, Perion Winfrey and Asamoa are walking into his office saying, can we come back? Like, and he's telling them, no, you guys need to go. Like you've declared you're done, but that's a telling tell that, you know, if you got guys that went to the NFL, that maybe they weren't going to leave right away. If there was somebody else there that, you know, maybe had a little bit more discipline and had a, tr you know, uh, had control of that team because that team should have won a national championship. No doubt in my mind that they should have won a national championship. They should they have competed for one at the very yeah. least. No doubt. They so had yeah, the talent there and everything else. Here. They're not going to say that. We got these, these two are Bama fans. They're not going to well, say look, that. Yeah, no, but I'm, I'm, look, no, you I had Oklahoma competed. going to the college football playoffs, right? No doubt about yeah. it. Uh, no doubt about it. But that Georgia yeah. defense, right? Like, that was all-time great. Yeah, so yeah, they should have yeah. competed. There is no issue yeah. with that. Jance, before you go, I, I need to point something out. Because if you combine both Preston's point and your point, there's something profound here mm -hmm. that you pointed out in light of Preston's point. What happens if Lincoln Riley didn't leave? If he comes back for a year, you see that exodus and it's next season Lincoln mm -hmm. Riley leaves. Now Oklahoma is in an exponentially worse place than they are 
had mm-hmm. everything happened. So we this whole time we thought, oh, you know, it was such a bad thing. And then Brent Venables comes in. Now it's a good thing. This might have been a really good thing for Oklahoma, especially if it's true that they all wanted there was a mass exodus on the way if Lincoln Riley stayed. Because as Jance points out, it's much harder to take over a situation when the locker room is in a real bad state because you have to then try and build culture. Culture is a word we've never had to associate with Oklahoma in a real serious fashion, right? Like we've never had to look at the Sooners and be like, y'all have a quote, like a through and through culture problem. Yeah. And Chris, yeah. And like I said, you know, this, uh, I had Oklahoma. That was my preseason number one team. Like I, like I had so much backlash and this was before like the dislike button was, you know, they, they took that out, but that was one of my dislike videos. Cause a lot of people were like, what are you talking about? Why is Oklahoma number one for you? And I'm like, dude, there's, all this returning talent um, compared to the previous year where the, the defense played just out of their minds and, you know, kind of the, just the way how they ended the season by just crushing Florida. And Chris, you know, all about the Florida video and then Mullen situation, yeah. you know, yeah. all about that. So, I mean, it's like, it's just the way that they ended. I just thought that Oklahoma was going to be at least, at least a top four team and make the playoffs. I had um, them a playoff team, no doubt. Yeah. yeah I mean, just, it's just it's 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 just insane to me, like just like just like hearing about it over and over and over again, just how you know just just junk, just how terrible that locker room situation was, you know how Leak and Riley and just his focus about just just hurrying to get the season over with so that he can make his move to whatever college he was going to go to. It's just it's it's sad. So here here we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna end that point with this right here. So I want to give a shout out to my aunt. And uh, he brought up a good point. I know you say you, you you brought it up, Ty. You said, you know, what happens if Lincoln stays? Well, I know I talked to him the other day, and I, and I know he's probably watching. But he said, "Hey, I'm not really big on Malachi Nelson, at least not in the Lincoln Riley offense or the Lincoln Riley system, because Lincoln Riley needs a dual threat quarterback, like a true dual threat quarterback to make it shake." And he's in his mind, he's like, "I've watched the film, watched some of his tape. He's Spencer Rattler." He was like, Key can do it all. He's not like knocking him for any of that, but he's saying, I don't like him in there. He's pretty stiff back there in the pocket as far as the Lincoln Raleigh system is going. So I guess the question that I'll, I'll leave, you know, I'll leave that talk with is, are we in the same position that we were with, with Spencer year two with trying to get Malachi to come in and everything? Because it just seems like it was not gelling. Something was not right. I think that was kind of when we should have all known that something was was up because as talented as Spencer Rattler was, and we saw him at times where it was just like, man, I mean, he's he's he you could seriously seriously argue he's the best quarterback in, in the nation right now. His upside's unreal. His upside's well, unreal. Well, and he's playing with Beamer, and Beamer got the most yeah. out of him. But you're just like something was up, something was not clicking. You know, you're sitting there two years in a row in the Texas game having to use your backup quarterback. It's it's a lot. But but speaking of that, speaking of that team right there, let's go on to our next point. We got Boomer Bust right now. We are talking about Texas and Texas A&M. Okay, gents, I'm gonna let you go first. All right, who is going to be the more successful team? When it's all said and done for the 23 year, Texas or Texas A&M? I'm going to go with Texas. And I think I think my record prediction for Texas, I got them going nine and three. I have Oklahoma going um, ten and two. 
Um, I got Oklahoma, of course. I got Oklahoma beating Texas. I've been switching on and off because a lot of Texas fans are they're trying to they're trying to switch me over to that side. Um, but I got Oklahoma going ten and two with that. A and M, I got them going seven and five. And I, and and there's points where I literally got them going six and six. Now, some people may say it's it's hating a little bit, but when I, but when I take a look at Texas A and M in the situation that they're in going in the twenty going into twenty twenty two and go and probably potentially for the future. I don't like the situation that has been going on so far because we want to talk about locker room situations and off the field issues. I mean, A and M has been—they've—they've they've definitely gotten situations like that before to a point where parents of these of, of these recruits are coming out and calling out A and M for for you know for for their madness a little bit there. I also take a look at you know for the season for 2022. You can't tell me you're going to lose 90% of your sack. No, I'm sorry, 90 to I think to 95% of your sack production, and you're going to replace that all with freshmen. Like you lose. Five out of the six guys from your defensive line, you lose them all to the NFL and uh, to the NFL. I just I don't see how a lot of those freshmen are going to come in and just be immediate contributors. Not to mention that your linebacking situation wasn't the best. I like the secondary, right? I think you know again they have one of the best safety tandems in the country. But when you have a nice front seven, when you have a nice front seven, it's going to make your secondary a lot better. That's always going to be the case. It, it doesn't. I mean, like I said, you know, I always kind of you know Chris likes to make fun of my Bills. But I remember back in 2018, we had the number one secondary in the NFL, but, you know, it didn't matter for crap. We went six, but we, we didn't matter for crap. Our defense ranked 14th in the, in the uh, 14th because we didn't have a pass rush. So it made our, so, it, so you know, so it, it doesn't really matter um, about that from that aspect. And I'll take a look at your offense. Besides Evan Stewart, who are you going to be your skill position players? Who are going to be those guys that are going to step up for you? Um, I thought they had again, a running back. They, uh, uh, Devin Etchane? Yeah. Oh, no. Didn't they, who, didn't they have a uh, Spiller kid last year? Who, who was Isaiah Spiller, Spiller was the running he's, back, he's, yeah. He's the NFL. Yeah, NFL, yeah. So, I mean, so I, then I have, again, the offensive line. I mean, for the most part, you lose a couple dudes. Um, you lose them off to the NFL. The quarterback situation is a hot mess. We all saw that spring game. None of those quarterbacks are ready. And, may, and I got Max Johnson starting, but is Max Johnson, is he going to take me to the next level? I mean, at best, best case scenario, that's a serviceable quarterback, but he has a low, he has, but again, he has a low ceiling, maybe a little bit of high floor, but he has a low ceiling. So I don't really see A&M with the, with the schedule that they have, uh, Miami, Arkansas, Alabama, LSU, Auburn, all teams with, 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 with arguably, uh, with, I'm not going to say, well, Miami doesn't have more talent, but a lot of those other schools either have the experience, either have the talent. Or they have the coaching staff that's better right now than AM. I look at Texas and I, I look at Texas and I look at their success for this year. I look at the fact that the Big 12, it's going to be a little bit of a down year for them. I think, again, we take a look at their skill position players. It's one of the best in the country, which I think will help them out. Um, again, Kansas State, I got them as a deep, I got them as that as that team that can come out um, from under their noses, and I think they can compete. Oklahoma State has lost a lot. I think Baylor, for the most part, their defense will be fine, but I do have some question marks about their offense, like you just referenced before. And, you know, even Oklahoma, I mean, Oklahoma is going to have a little bit down. You know, again, they lose a lot of production themselves. They have the great, they have the coaching staff, but I do believe they're going to have a little bit of trouble at, at, at the start of it. So I think with year two with Steve Sarkeesian and the Texas Longhorns, they're going to have a, they're going to have a better year. Not to sit, to sit up here and say they're going to win the Big 12 Conference, but Looking at the situations that Texas and AM both have to face, there's no question that so far Texas is in a better situation going into this year compared to Texas AM. Ty, okay, Ty, right down the line. Okay. Man, I mean, that was a great breakdown. And I I have a hard time disagreeing with any of it, right? 
Because if we're looking at questions at Texas A&M, I have questions at the quarterback position. Max Johnson, I think, is probably their safest bet. And I know he's probably not the guy with the highest ceiling, but given the nature of that position, given the nature of how much trouble we've had getting consistent offense, if I'm A&M, I just want consistency. And so because of that, I'm going with Max Johnson. But I understand that could limit myself. But then I look, the offensive line was very good last year for Texas A&M. Even though they had a bunch of freshmen out there, for the most part, that offensive line was pretty good uh, when they needed to be, right? Like, they lost a lot the year before. They came out, were much more impressive than I think a lot of people thought they would be last year. My biggest question for the offensive line, you don't have Josh Henson anymore. He's not there anymore. You bring in a new offensive line coach, and Henson put together back-to-back stellar offensive line performances. So you don't have that. We saw the spring game. Look, I think Evan Stewart is a phenomenally talented wide receiver. Right, I think if you watch his tape, that dude has got the juice. I got to see him seven on seven. He's got it. I just don't think that the offense is going to be fluid enough to be able to maximize his potential. Now, I hope all the best for Evan Stewart because he's very good. Whereas if I look at Texas right now, I think Jance pointed it out. The wide receiver room at Texas is one of the best in the nation. Right, like Ohio State's is insane, but Texas has got a ton of talent. Offensive line is a major concern. But they recruited it very well, so we know in the years coming it will be good, right? At least Texas with Sark is making the blueprint of something successful. Last year, Texas's defense wasn't very good. Their offense was their offensive line wasn't very good, but that was still an offense that was able to get success. That was still an offense that could score. Year two, I think it'll continue. I mean, I don't know how y'all feel, but I think Quinn's ceiling is higher than any quarterback on Texas A&M. And I actually watching the spring games, I'd feel more comfortable with Quinn running my offense than any of the quarterbacks at Texas A&M right now, not named Max Johnson. But then again, we're going back into that conversation of the floor is, is nice with Max Johnson. It's just, is the ceiling where you want it to be? That's not for me to answer, but I think that Texas is the answer as far as to who could have a better season. I don't know that I have Texas going nine and three. I'd have to really sit down and look at their schedule. I have Oklahoma going at 10 and two and winning the big 12. I know that was something we were going to talk about. I'll, I'll throw that in here while we're there. I just think A&M has painted a giant target on their back, right? Yeah. <laughs> they got to go to Tuscaloosa. You got to come see Nick. And I don't know if y'all realized, have y'all checked out the visitor list for that game? It's a who's who of high school football. Right. I mean, the prospects are lining up to see that one and deservedly so. Right. Even guys who might have light interest in either Alabama or A&M, I'd want to be there. Right. If I if I could get there, I'd want to be at that game. But I digress. I, I think the answer is Texas. I think Texas A&M recruited well, but that's going to put exponentially more pressure. And Preston made a great point earlier. Right. You, you, you about A&M learning how to have to deal with all this collection of talent. You signed the greatest defensive line class I think there might have ever been signed. I mean, if y'all can think of one, please let me know. I'd love to look into it. Now you've got to figure out how you're going to rotate all those guys because they want to eat. They all want to eat, and there's only so much at the buffet to go. So you you got a lot to figure out. Yeah, and the other thing that you're – I think both of you guys – I think you said, you know, they lost uh, – what was it, their offensive line coach? Yeah, Henson. They also They also lost Smitty. Yeah, that's a, where, you know, that's a hey, great point. And that's guess where Schmitty went? He is oh, in yeah. Norman, Oklahoma. And who are two guys on that team that were projected to go to Oklahoma? Overton and Dindy. And there's a really good chance that by the end of this season, they hit that transfer portal. 
because Texas A&M, they're going to lose at least four games, at least. They're not winning. I mean, I mean, you're not. I mean, last year they lost to Mississippi State at home. This year you have to go to Mississippi State. And Will Rogers is in year two. Yeah, you're not beating Arkansas. Arkansas is better than you, right? They're just by not by a collection of talent, but just by experience. You're going to get beat by 30 by to Alabama at least. You're losing at South Carolina. <laughs> you're losing to at South Carolina. You have to play Ole Miss at home, which you had to play them last year in Ole Miss, but still, like I didn't bring I mean, them up. Yeah, I mean you're. I mean you're Lane Kiffin. Are you going to be able to stop that offense? In your first year, those are all freshmen. With Zach Evans? Dart, yeah, and Jackson Dart has played in this league with Michael Trigg before. They've played in the USC, so they've they've been they've had college experience. And then you have to play LSU at home. I think LSU is a great team. One of one of the top three best receivers in the, in the country is on on LSU. So yeah, yeah. Aggie, Aggies are going to be five or six losses, I think, by the end of the season. Chris, I, if, I, if, I, if I could just say this real quick. Look at the look at the the defensive lines that A and M is playing against this year. I mean, they're playing against five legitimate teams with great front sevens, compared to the situation that Texas has to go against, where there's still question marks about the defenses that they're going to be playing against for them. At least for them, they have a little bit of an advantage. With A and M, you have to tr- first of all, you got to re- recover all this production. And like I said, I mean, even with Alabama signed uh, the year prior the greatest recruiting class with the highest uh, you know, re- recruiting grade as far as we're just looking at per average. And look how many freshmen played for, for Alabama that particular year. And, and again, we were de- we were depleted in, in certain areas where we could have needed some players to, to, uh, to play, but we, but we didn't. Why? Because they, those guys weren't ready. Those guys were not ready to play yet. So if A&M is going to force all these players, all these freshmen to play, you're not convincing me that you're going to be ready for an experienced Arkansas team. Uh, a Miami team, which has a, arguably a top 10 quarterback in all of college football uh, against the LSU team, which is going to be one of the most experienced and have one of the best defensive lines, top five defensive lines in the country with Allie Gay, Mason Smith, Jaquelin Roy and uh, B.J. Ojolari, who three of those guys can end up being first round picks. You know, yeah. I mean, again, you you mentioned Ole Miss. Uh, it, it's just like I, I look at that schedule. That's a gauntlet. South Carolina is not going to be an easy game. That is a gauntlet of a schedule. And honestly, like I said, I, in a way, I, I, it's it's either six and six or seven and five for me. So, so here's the question, okay? So here's here's a question: Is Max Johnson a better option at quarterback than uh, Calzada was last year? I think they're about the same. Who's the dude that they had coming in this year? Uh, didn't they sign a top quarterback? Five star. Yeah, um, oh. they signed a five star. Um, um, Connor, Connor, Connor Weigman. Yeah, Weigman. Yeah, high, high ceiling. I have no doubt that the yeah. kid is incredibly talented. Yes. He just didn't look he's ready. A freshman. Yeah, he didn't look ready in the spring game. He he's a ready. freshman. Yeah, I mean, but spring game to August, there's quite a bit of time there for him to get ready. Yeah. no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, that's time. But to the question though, is and Ty, I'll let you answer. Is is Max Johnson a better option than than Calzada? This is tough for me, man. Max Johnson has more experience, and this is y'all are gonna be surprised. I mean, he I, was a freshman last year, wasn't he? No, he was a uh, sophomore. He was a sophomore. Okay, Johnson, he played. Okay. He played in twenty twenty. Then he played in twenty one. Yeah, and Calzada was a freshman last year, right? He was yeah. a redshirt freshman. Yeah. Redshirt. Okay. Yeah. So I, I might be wrong on the experience. I thought Max Johnson had a little bit. Now. But here's what I will say. It's tough for me to say that because I watched Calzada light us up. I mean, that yeah. dude was perfect. 
through the first half. I think he I had mean, one incompletion. So that's the common denominator game right there because they both played pretty mm-hmm. damn well against Alabama. Yeah. It's yeah. just the fact that Max Johnson, for whatever reason, towards the end of the game, maybe he ran out of gas, but he could not he could not connect. I mean, I'm just gonna be real. LSU had every chance to win that game to Oh, <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. I mean you're not wrong. He couldn't he just couldn't hit the side of a barn yard. <laughs> and receivers were getting open. Like, it's not like they weren't getting open. I mean, nah, they, yeah, he they could, were getting he open. He could not hit them. He could not hit them. But reason why I ask that question is because I'm saying if he's not, a, if Max Johnson is not a better option than Calzada, then we've already we already know what their season is going to look like because we saw it last year, right? That's a good point. Um, I think uh, I think one thing for sure that we need to uh, that well looking at their schedule. I'm just gonna be honest with you. Outside of Sam Houston State and UMass, all these other games are going to be born burners, man. This is going to be tough. This is going to be no hard born because let's be honest. Let's be real. Appalachian State, that second game of the season, they're not going to lay over for you. If you go out there and beat them, you're going to have to beat them. They're not going to just lay over for you. It's not going to be Appalachian State. Appalachian State was Coastal Carolina before Coastal Carolina was who they are now. I mean, let's just be let's just be real. Great chant declares. Yeah, after they beat Michigan, they were the ones who were everybody was like, hmm, this team, this and that, blah, blah, blah. So App State is going to be a good test for them. And you know, and we all know Jimbo teams tend to struggle out the gates. Let's just be real. Okay. But Miami. Miami at home, then you get uh, A&M, then you got to go to Mississippi State, and then you got to go to Bama the next week. I mean, that's a that's a one, two, three, four, five. That's a five, that's a that's a damn good five game stretch. And to yeah, go three to, straight road have, games, yeah, then have to go to South Carolina, and if I'm not mistaken, that's you come tough. home against Ole Miss, and I mean, let's just I mean, let's just be real. That's a that's a gauntlet. That's a tough yeah. schedule. That's a tough schedule right there. I mean, you throw Bama in the mix. You got a South Carolina team that could be up and down, but you got to go there. You got Arkansas, who you struggle with, and Arkansas is not going to be a home game. That's probably going to be a uh, at Jerry's World, you would think, right? I haven't. Is it going to be? Yeah, a it, site? yeah, it, yeah it'll be a neutral site. Yeah, it'll be a site. Yeah, it'll be neutral site. It's got the right. asterisk next no, to it. Exactly. Jerry's World, then. No but doubt, after, Jerry's world. After you get done with uh, with Ole Miss, you gotta come home against Florida. You gotta go to Auburn. Okay, well they may get Auburn, but you in your year with LSU. I mean, that's that's tough. So, I, I'm I, I'm not even too sure if I'll give them the Auburn game, man, because you got to do a Derek Hall, and I forgot the other guy, but you got. I mean, that's, that's the top five defensive line in the country. My brother, yeah. no, they'll beat Auburn because Auburn's my, discombobulated right now. My brother, <laughs> Chance, I love you, and I hate Auburn. Have you looked? At what's going on over there, man? <laughs> oh, I, I know they're they trying to get rid of their head coach. I, I also saw what they, they did to us. Man. I also saw what they did to us, man. So you're so playing I'll over there in Boodle Island. I'll say this to end that point right there. Look, I think we all agreed that Texas should have the better year. Texas should be able on on paper they have the better they better they have just a better wide receiver and they have better skill position right now outside of Evan Stewart you can't I mean I can't name one wide receiver on on Texas A&M but at the same time here's they the got thing Marshall there. last year another five star so they got yeah. two five stars in the same class but like even then right if you tell me two unproven five stars versus yeah. Xavier Worthy 
like, no, nah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take worthy, man. Like, yeah, it's not the juice. Well, that that's that's just the whole thing. Well, I like I said, as an OU fan, it may be tough because you guys know how I feel about Texas. But I mean, Texas, they should have the better year. They should have. They're the gonna win. Year. They're they're gonna win 10, 11 games this season. Mark that down. And if you they think? don't, and, and and if they don't, they're gonna. I, yeah, they're in trouble if they don't. Because here's the thing: you cannot go sign the offensive line class that they did and everybody that they just did this year and not expect them to have a good year this year. You, you just can't do it. We're going to have I to think it's, the DMs, man. I can't believe you just said Texas going? Texas. I, I think we're one or two years removed from that. Not, I hear I, listen, I just look at their schedule. They should be everybody on this schedule except for Alabama and OU. OU is a toss-up game. They're not beating Alabama. Alabama is the for sure only loss. OU is a toss-up Boy, game. All the other games – all the other games they should win and they should win them Vegas, healthy. Vegas Vegas had to, uh had them uh favored in every game except for the Bama game. I think the Oklahoma's like by one point or they might have lowered and the last time I checked. They're always favored, favored over every game besides that. And Tech, that's just a rivalry game, right? Tech, Anything Tech can Tech happen in that a, game. Texas Tech will be a will be a close game. Um TCU will be a good game. Iowa State is definitely going to give them problems. They're going to have problems up there in O State. And the fact of the matter is, looking at the schedule, we all know there's two more teams. Uh, Baylor, at the end of the season, that is a terrible game to get towards the end of the season. And then also, on top of that, you have to play – you have to go to K-State. I mean, hell, you have to go to Kansas. They haven't beat Kansas in a 1,000 days. So – all I'm saying is we'll, we'll, we'll take care of that later. Let's move on to our next point. Let's keep it moving. Miami. <laughs> Miami. <laughs> so, Miami. What's up with Miami's recruiting? Because, I mean, I thought OU was doing something, but those boys down there, Chris Ball got it going now, right? Y'all are doing something, but they are doing something wild, man. Yeah. Like, they, they're – it's crazy. Is it, is and the crazy thing is – Preston, what'd you say? Oh, no, I was going to say the crazy thing is, is they only have one five star, and it, I mean, and we're raving about this class, and they only have one five star. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, I think, I think the thing is the four stars or three stars or whatever, although he fell short of national championship glory, here's the thing with Chris Ball Chris Ball can recruit, he can recruit. And the thing about it is, is that his teams may be a little bit lackluster in some places, but let's just be honest with it. He can develop too. And the whole thing is that he had Oregon going. He had Oregon going. Oregon was on the, uh, they were on a short end stick uh, for, for a second after Chip Kelly left. They went through, I think, one, one or maybe two coaches, but he got the ball rolling there. So why can't he do it at, at Miami? Everybody's going to love Miami. It's great for college football for Miami to be good. I mean, let's just be honest. It's the youth, you know? Jess, what do you think about it? Well, Mario Cristobal, I think the reason, again, Mario Cristobal is a great recruiter, and I remember when he was with us. I mean, you know, Alabama has always been able to recruit Florida, um, but not at the success rate. But, you know, when when Mario Cristobal came, he completely, you know, changed just our recruiting landscape about the state because we were dominating the state. You know, we had a couple guys, but, you know, we had Trent Richardson. We had Sil, We had some other guys that came from Florida. But when he came in here, I mean, the Amari Coopers, the Jerry Judys, like a lot of those players came because of Mario Cristobal and just his connection with Miami. I mean, he's from Miami. And it's, and it's not like he grew up in the suburbs. I mean, he literally, where a lot of those cities like Miami Central, uh, Carroll City, 
Northwestern, like a Booker T. Washington, he is from that area. So if there's anybody that that can connect with the kids and can try to bring back the glory of of of, of Miami, it would be him. Mm-hmm. Um, and you and you also got to take a look at his recruiting staff. Like you look, at the, I mean, Jason Taylor is, is the defensive analyst for God's sake. Him and Wright, you guys, well, both. And the funny part is that it that staff consists of former NFL players compared to a lot of coaching staffs around the country. I mean, Miami has the most NFL uh, uh, former players on the coaching staff right now, which I think more uh, college football teams should be able to do because because you have people that have been there. You have people that that, that when they tell you uh, they can, you know, they want to, you know, we can develop you. You better listen to that person because he's been there. He's been at the top compared to just, you know, you know, a, a former, a great college coach, you know, guy that maybe has a track record of development, but maybe, but hasn't been to that status. It's a little bit mm-hmm. different when you're trying to recruit these some of these kids. So, I mean, shouts out to them because it's not like they're just recruiting and, you know, it's not like they're really dominating the 305 area because, um, I mean, for the most part, they're not really getting a lot of kids from there. They're getting a lot of kids from around – really Florida territory, like, yeah. you know, Comorny McClain, a lot of Miami fans feel like they can get him. He's literally in Florida territory in Lakeland. Um, they're getting, I mean, like I said, they're about to get a, I forgot the guy's name is Todd. You can probably help me out here, but the, the, the defensive end from Venice, that's literally in Florida territory. Um, four-star defensive, uh, four-star four defensive. Yes. yes. Damian Williams. They're, yeah. And they're, they, they, they love the fact that they can get him, but also they also have a little bit of an IMG pipeline. Because, I mean, you look at last year, they got the tight end, the number one recruit tight end from there. Uh, you look at this year, they get around – I think they have, they have four players and Riley Williams a little bit there. You add in Jaden Wayne, uh, Francis, you add him there. Um, they're starting to establish a little bit of a pipeline, and that's because the current some of the current coaches from IMG came from Miami, or they used to coach under Mario Cristobal. So there's so it, it's like Mario Cristobal, it's like he had this plan before he even got there. He yeah. knew exactly which areas to attack, and he knew he just knew. I mean, this, this the, Mario Cristobal, man, to just for his credit, man, has always had his hand in the cookie jar as far as getting players from the state of Florida. Now that he's in a now that he's in an area in a brand in Miami with all with with nothing but former coach, uh, former players in the NFL that has connections from different neighborhoods, not just from Miami but from across the other different regions. Man, Miami's I, they're going to have a spectacular recruiting class. I, I would definitely say top five yeah. for them. No, I, I definitely would uh, would piggyback that and just say I'm really impressed with what they're doing. Um, Rashad is who they got right. Jaden Rashad from yeah. California. Yeah. So, I mean, getting him was big. That's the centerpiece of your class. And so that's kind of my point, which was kind of to your point, uh, PG. Like, I get it. They may only have one five-star, but I think that what you're seeing a lot of coaches do – kind of the right way this is something that we were excited about Grinch doing right you trust their evaluation skills maybe you're like hey I need to see a little bit more on the development scene uh the development side of the ball but as far as the evaluation you're excited about it because for a team like look at what Sark is doing basically with Texas he's trying to address piece by piece step by step recruiting class by recruiting class He's trying to address their positional needs, the needs that he feels like, hey, we need to be strengthening. And you can do that with the transfer portal, stuff like that. But, you know, obviously it's great if you can get a four year, if you you want a four year lease instead of a two year lease. You know what I'm saying? Or however many years that, that they'll have left of eligibility, which is great if you can get that player. However, you want to be able to build that. But with what they're doing down there, it's it's hella impressive simply because um I don't 
necessarily know. We all knew that Chris Ball could turn it around. They have, I think, Tyler Van Dyke down there, and I mean, they should have a pretty good season this year. He's going to add structure there and, and help them in ways that they haven't been helped in, 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 in a long time down there. The biggest thing for them is just basically piece by piece, just piecing this together and getting this Miami team to be a complete team. And I think that's what Crystal Ball is chasing right now. I don't necessarily think he's chasing ACC Conference Championship or National Championship. I think what he's chasing is just to turn this team into a complete team. That way they can actually compete at a high level and finally probably win more than like eight or nine games. And what they haven't won that in like what the last how many how many years? They've only had one 10 win season and since they've joined the ACC, which exactly. was 15 years ago. No, exactly. That's what I'm saying. So, you know, I think the last time they had was uh, Mark Rick was the coach and yep. that season was a wash. So, I mean, you know, <laughs> that one, the season after that, that is. But yeah, I mean, I, I'll, I'll let the floor have it. But yeah, I'm pretty impressed with what they're doing down there at Miami for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think Miami's back. And, I mean, they're poised, I think, to probably have a number one class. Um, they're yeah. up for several other five stars in this class, right? Uh, David Hicks is looking at them there, which I think they have a pretty good shot at. Um, you know, you kind of said it, uh, Kwamani McLean is in their backyard, right? You know, they could make a push for him, um, which, you know, I think right now people are projecting him to go to Florida. So, I mean, I, I would say he could probably go there. I mean, there's probably – Four or five, five stars right now. You got Samson Okunluno or Lola, okay, whatever his Lola. name is. Yeah, he's another five-star offensive tackle. Um, you have Olas Elman. Yeah, you have a Samuel M. Pimpa. Samuel right? another, Pimpa. Yep. Yeah, another From my Academy. Yeah, like they're they've got you know a, a plethora of five stars right now they can go out there and get. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Mario Cristobal um, have uh, Justin Herbert? Yes. Yeah. 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 So that's got to be attractive to future quarterbacks uh, to want to come to the University of Miami because you look at Justin Herbert and people are thinking he could be one of the best NFL quarterbacks, and He's that's uh, that, and that's saying a lot because Patrick Mahomes has got a lot of hype, and you know that's maybe me being a little bit more biased, you know, with being a Chiefs fan. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think Miami's back, and they kind of got a pretty easy schedule this year. I mean, outside of Texas A and M and Clemson, they should roll through their schedule the, the yeah. juice is back uh, let's just yeah. let, 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 let's say that the juice is back we yeah. still gotta hey. see you prove it too i uh i just want to address this because uh weston he says miami's getting some high four stars but OU's getting a lot of kids from florida miami's getting a lot of them from cali and other states nine of the 14 i think are from florida they are they are killing the so they they they've been far more successful in their own area mm -hmm. code and if you look at it it's a, it's around that area they are killing it. And yeah. why is that important? Because right now, if we're talking to top 300 players in all of high school football, 57 of them are located in Florida. Yeah. Like, I, I say that all the time because I feel like I'm the only one who's absolutely mind blown by that fact. The fact that there are 57 of the top 300 in one state is just wild to me. Mm -hmm. So when we look at Miami, right, like it, we look at it like this. Chris brings up the point, right, about Mario Cristobal. Everyone talks about he's home, and, and PG brings it up. I mean, you look at how he recruited. You look at the players he's had. He's a guy that moves the needle, okay? In the – oh, Weston, dude, I am wrong all the time. It's – I'm professional at it, my man. It's no worries. It's no worries. So when we look at this, 
Mario Cristobal is a guy that moves the needle. Jaden Rashad is a guy that moves the needle. Francis Mauanoa is a guy that moves. They are stacking guys that move the needle. And then we need to look at this, right? The offensive coordinator from Miami. That's Josh Gaddis, right? He was just at Michigan, but he was with Alabama during the Jerry, Judy, Devontae Smith, Henry Ruggs years, right? Like, he was there. Their co-defensive coordinator is Charlie Strong. Okay, so they got a former head coach as a co-defensive coordinator, linebackers coach. Who is who is a, a the Florida kids love him. Yes, yes, yeah, right. And they just got Raul Aguirre out of Georgia. I don't know if y'all have seen his film. Oh my gosh, man! After this, y'all are gonna have to. That kid is he's so talented. He's a great addition. Their cornerback coach is Demarcus Van Dyke. To Preston's point, you look. They could get back in the race for a Kermani McLean, right? Like Florida has got um, Corey Raymond, who's, I mean, I, I don't even need to speak on Corey Raymond. We know who Corey Raymond is. The guy's got a laundry list of five stars that he develops. Like it's, mm-hmm. he's, I mean, that guy's the best. Yeah. Travaris Robinson with Alabama is another guy that like, we might not know his name as well of a, as a Corey Raymond, but I mean, he might be a, a top five. And as far as cornerback coach in the nation, Travaris Robinson, the guys he's developed, his recruiting ability. But Demarcus Van Dyke is right there, man. Like that guy, remember that name because mm-hmm. he's going to make waves. I think Preston said it best, man. Like this, this feels like Miami coming back. And I get it. Results yeah. need to be shown. But what do we know? We know the ACC is ripe for the taking right now. I would argue the ACC is more ripe for the taking now than it has been over the past five years. Clemson lost Brent Venables. They lost Todd Bates. I know Chavez wasn't an on-field coach, but given what he's doing at Oklahoma right now, we can tell that he was doing something palpably positive at Clemson, right? They lost Ted Roof. They lost Tony Elliott. Clemson has lost a whole lot. They still have Dabo, and because of that, they still deserve our respect. Dabo's been winning until that changes until I really see them fall. I'm going to give Dabo all the respect he's deserved, but that ACC league is as ripe for the taking as any league in this nation right now. Yeah. I mean, last year, last year definitely showed, showed it. I mean, with hit playing for, for the championship. Can you think it's not here? Jordan Addison's not, you see what I mean? Like that. Wake Forest could possibly, you know, it's a good one. And, I got NC uh, State winning it. That's quick. I got NC State winning the ACC this year. That's, yeah, that's who? interesting. Mute a- him. NC State. Oh, wow. Mute him. Wow. No, just no, kidding. actually, just kidding. actually, just that's kidding. not a bad take. No, I, mean, I know. I know. Wow. I'm just giving him a hard time, <laughs> but, Seriously, yeah. though, on a real note, my I mean, Miami's recruiting is going to be ridiculous oh, next yeah. year in the 2024 class. I mean, I, I just want everybody to realize this. Florida State, I don't know what's going on with them. Collapsing. Florida is going to be down for at least two years. I mean, I don't I don't think they have the recruiting momentum that they should have being Florida. Maybe and I mean, who yeah. else? Who who else? And the Florida is going to compete with Miami. I mean, I don't know, man. No, that's like I said, if they, if they get. Oh, ahead, point taken. Yeah. Don't sleep on UCF, but point taken. They, they got a long ways to go before they yeah. can get to Miami. Yeah, but I, I, mean, I think like, they're trending. Yeah, in 2024 right now, for all of the top like 25 Florida guys, when I go through the 247 sports and I look at who's offered them and like right now the top five where they think them they can go, Miami's in every single one of them. Every single one yeah. of them. 
Yeah. And maybe Florida, maybe Florida, because they started to gain some a little bit of momentum. But I, I would just say this if they lose Kamar to McClain, that that's yeah. well, you Lake, know, I can't I can't so, stress you enough how important Lakeland High School is to Florida. Like that has been one school where you just where you simply say, We cannot lose players from this particular area. That is Florida. That is Swampville Jr. right there. That they if they lose Carbonic McClain to Miami, uh, it, it, that's ridiculous. But the one thing I can say about Miami, one thing that they have to do, very similar to Lakeland, they got to lock down their own city in Miami, because there's ten plus schools in there that produce the most NFL talent compared to any other area across the country. Miami Central, Carroll City, Northwestern, Booker T, so many other, so many of those high schools in those inner cities produce some of the most high-quality talent we've ever seen, including some of those counties, such as, like, you know, Chamadate Madonna with Hollywood. You know, that's where Hollywood Brown got his name from over there. So, you know, it's it's Miami. They've got to lock down that particular area. Those are areas that my, that Alabama loves to go in there and, and tries to get a lot of those kids, right? The Edgewater. I mean, we can go on and on from 7A and 6A. But just like I kind of said this before, that Miami are, are, are not just, you know, focusing on their particular city. They're folk. They're taking Florida State's uh, area recruits. They're taking Florida's area uh, recruits. UCF. I'll, I'll give you one example. We all know who Jason Taylor is, right? Yeah. Every one of us. Guess where he? Guess where he coached at last year? I don't know. Saint Saint Thomas Aquinas. Oh wow. He was the head. He was he was the assistant coach of Saint Thomas Aquinas, which is a top, which is nationally a top yeah. five. High school in the country. Yeah. He has yeah, that's nasty. Mario Cristobal legit has a pipeline to every single high school before he even got there. He has those connections. Yeah, and when he formed that coaching staff with Jason Taylor now being there as the defensive analyst, who I think should be a defensive line coach because that dude is a baller. He's an in- incredible football mind. But coaching with 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 Wright on that coaching with Wright as the co-defensive line, because you got the other guy from he used to coach at Arizona, but the um uh, I forgot what his name is, but uh, uh, he was a, he was the he was the reason why Francis uh, even committed to uh, uh, to Miami in the first place was because of him. They have legitimate pipelines in so many different areas; it's ridiculous. So it's so, it's 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 incredible what Miami's doing. So Ty has said something basically about how rich of a state Florida is talent wise. Then Jan's piggybacked on that and said the same thing. So that goes into pretty much our last point of today, which we're talking about realignment. The reason why I say that is because on each of these shows, this show, uh, Ty's show, all of that, we've all talked about. Big 12 got to get in there. Big 12 got to get go get South Florida. They already got UCF, but they need to go get South Florida yeah. too. They need to dig. They need to be in the trenches of that. They need to go in and get a lot tech because they need to be in the trenches of, of, of that place as well. Go to Louisiana. You know, Go out there to Cali. Get those schools as well. You need to make sure – that all of your schools are going to be able to go and get talent from those talent-rich states, okay? I mean, it's, it's no ands, ifs, or buts about it. Um, but as far as the, the, the realignment news, pretty much on here, uh, three three takeaways, and we'll go to the first one. SEC staying at 16 teams. I think everybody probably has, has seen that, or if you haven't, uh, I, I, I read something where um, I think a lot of the schools were basically saying that they want to stay at 16 schools, which is going to happen when OU and Texas come. So do you guys think that's good or bad? Ty, I'll start with you. Look, I'm of the mindset now is we've opened Pandora's box. So yeah. what point is, and I don't get trying to cap it. 
right? And if I'm not mistaken, the and I I could be wrong on this, so please, Chris, cut me off mid sentence if I am wrong. The people who said that the SEC is looking to stay where they're at wasn't Greg Sankey. It was the president, or it was a higher up in a team, right? Yeah. I don't think it was Greg Sankey that said it. Yeah. Look, if if a brand such as Clemson and Miami want to join the SEC, I think you you better take them expeditiously, Expand right? Like instantly. Those brands, man, like you want to have even yeah. more legitimacy in the state of Florida? Please, come on, come on. Yeah. You want to walk up the Carolinas? Please, by all means, be my guest. I'd love to have North Carolina. But if we're speaking specifically about the Big 12, I thought the Big 12 made great moves in trying to preserve themselves last year, adding a UCF, a Cincinnati, a BYU, a Houston. I mean, I thought those were great teams because a lot of their own barriers we talked about with UCF, with Cincinnati, and even with Houston is, oh, you're not power five. Well, now we've stripped that barrier away. You are power yeah. five. And those are those are the teams that were right on the cusp of being there. Cincinnati was in the playoffs, for goodness gracious. I mean, that, that's a good team. If they can add in Utah, oh, that's the move. If, if the Big 12 can do that move where they get Utah, the Arizona schools, what was it? Utah, the Arizona schools, and Colorado was Washington, the other. Yeah, hell, they want Oregon and Washington too. You got to throw them in there. If they get Oregon. If you get Oregon, you, you laugh all the way to the bank. Are you yeah. serious? Like Oregon pulls numbers, right? You, you got to look at media market, right? And not only are you getting the Oregon media market, that's people love the brand Oregon for the, the uniforms. So look, I, 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 I hear a lot of people and I, I completely get the arguments that says, Oh, this is bad. I, I understand that. But Pandora's box has already been opened, yeah. right? There's no capping until it's done. So we might as well get this done in one fell swoop as opposed to dragging this out. Cause mm -hmm. all of this is a distraction, right? And, and until we get this sorted out, we'll never have any more talks about playoffs expanding. Yeah. That's just yeah. the way that uh... PG, what do you think? Um, you know, I think the Big 12 is going to go after four more schools because I think they're going to try to hit that Magic 16 number. Um, I think the Pac-12 thing is interesting, especially with the Pac-12 kind of announcing they're going to try to stay together now um, because it feels like a lot of these Pac-12 teams have one foot out the door now, especially with USC and UCLA going out. I, I, I still think the Big 10 eventually snags up Oregon and Washington. Uh, I think that, you know, it's just going to be a matter of time with mm -hmm. the talks with Notre Dame and trying to come up with, hey, how can you keep your exclusive NBC thing but still come be a part of the Big Ten? I think the Big 12 is interesting because, you know, their commissioner came out in Big 12 Media Days, their new one, and he literally talked about expanding the playoffs, and he dropped names like Clemson and Miami and said, their media right deal doesn't matter. If we want them, we'll take them. And I think that's interesting because what would what would that no, because no, think about it? They're renegotiating their contract. What does that look like for that's, teams like that? That's that Rock Nation stuff talking, man. That's that Rock Nation talk. But I mean, the know, thing is though, they could they could get a lot more money now because they're renegotiating that contract. But if you're Clemson, and, but Clemson and but here's the problem with that Clemson. And and, uh, and and North Carolina, Florida State, Miami, all those teams, they already know. They can go over there and make 60, 80, 100 million dollars. You're probably going you could probably make double that 
if you go to the SEC. The SEC is going to be more more favorable for favorable for them, especially because SEC teams are going to be pretty much in their backyard, anyways. I mean, they're right down there, smack smack dab in the middle. Let's just be honest. They're in Florida. Um, Clemson uh, is basically is South Carolina. I mean, you're right there. You already are in that region. So I think that their fans and everybody else will be more inclined to go there opposed to trying to go to the Big Ten or to the Big 12. But at the same time, you know, there's some merit on that because, like I said, you know, uh, before we even came on here, we talked about how the Big 12 was flirting with the idea of possibly having an exclusive TV deal with uh, CBS, which I think everybody would like to see them on CBS as well. But, you know, we'll we'll have to see, especially with these new matchups. But I think Ty said it said it best. If they can get a Utah, that's going to be game changing. If they can get Oregon, we always talk about Notre Dame and the chess piece. Oregon is the Big 12 chess piece. That's how not only do you do you take uh, do you claim uh, uh, power five membership, but you say, no, I got a chokehold on it. Like we we got Oregon. We got Utah. We got all those teams. We got Pac-12 teams. We're 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 our own super conference. Uh, Jess, what do you think? I, I always keep saying this, man. It, it's just I, I'm not going to believe it until I actually see it myself because, you know, we've heard, you know, we've heard so many different things before in the past. And, you know, all of a sudden we all know the results of, of certain situations. So I, I got to see it to actually believe it. And, you know, if you're not going to tell me that if Miami and Florida State are are knocking out the SC at, at the uh, SEC door and they're saying, it, please, we are we're generally interested of joining the SEC, that they're just going to automatically turn them down because they're because they're full. I, I think they are open to any, uh, particularly to a, especially a Florida market of, you know, the amount of TV and, and media uh, right deals that they kind of have over there, that they're just going to completely ignore them. No. I mean, if Clemson is knocking on your door, if North Carolina with their brand, if they're knocking on your door, you're, you're going to be interested and you're going to, and you're going to hear what they have to say. And, and, you know, better yet, you might even allow them to join your conference. You know, just, just like how Ty said it, Pandora's box has already happened. And I think a lot of these, you know, I think a lot of these guys from around the country, whether from the Pac-12 or the, from the Big 12, I think these are guys that, you know, they, they hear something like that and they think this is full of crap. And, you know, the Big 12, they will do whatever it takes for them to survive. The Pac-12, I think right now they're in survival mode. I mean, they're, I, I mean, we're, we're pretty much, I think we all can agree that they're toast right now, but they're still going to try everything in their power to try to get that conference back. Um, to relevancy. So I, I think that it's just full of crap for the most part. Um, you know, again, just if, if if a lot of these schools were just knocking on their door, they would definitely hear them out. And if not, welcome them in with open arms. That's just it's just too much. It's just too much of a benefit for them to ignore. Yeah, but I guess my question is, and this one and, and this has always rattled my head. At what point do the Big Ten and the SEC get too big and competitive and like competitive right because Nick Saban's still at Alabama and I mean I know we've heard about this contract but I mean is he I mean let's I mean let's just say he's there for another five years I mean if you're Miami and Florida State do you want to go be below mediocre in the SEC you know if you go to the Big 12 like you have a chance to run and rule that conference and be top dog Mm-hmm. Like no, I, I just like I just step. I I just think that like sometimes like I think it's like it's it sounds great to have all these teams in one conference, but then it's like wait hold on like you like and that's why like you know I think OU fans are excited to go to the SEC, but it's like all right guys we need to pump the brakes because you know we're not going to be as good as we were in the Big Twelve. We're not going to be able to run the brakes off teams, 
And so that's that's my not that's my thing. Necessarily, I mean, you're you're you know, I mean, Ty and Jens may disagree with me, but the the SEC is kind of, I mean, they're they're on the verge of not being that, but they've been top heavy for the for the last few years. It's been Alabama and everybody else, but it's, it's been, been top heavy. But now, now, yeah, yeah, now you're starting to see some wild. some teams pop up. You know, you're it's you're waiting. Tough. It's been Alabama, Georgia, LSU, it's been like three Texas teams, Daniel. four teams, yeah. yeah. Um, for the but, better part, and then every other now and then, you know, Auburn to be really good. You'll have Ole Miss pop up and be a pretty damn good team. Who was that first team you said? Auburn. Never heard of them. But one thing I will say, right? Like, I do agree uh, to a degree about, like, I think that it's going to be an adjustment period, right? Yeah. With Oklahoma and Texas coming into the SEC, right? It's absolutely. And I know people have given the example of Missouri coming in and instantly just berating the SEC. But that was a different time where the SEC defense was a little bit, I wouldn't want to say antiquated because it was still very good, but yeah. teams like AM and Missouri forced the SEC as a whole to kind of change their defensive and offensive philosophies because they're like, we yeah. don't want to have to deal with this, right? Lane Kiffin did a lot for Alabama in terms of changing the offense, but by extension, the defense had to change with it, right? It had to so I think that right there makes it a bit harder to come in and instantly go. But the flip side of that is I think that y'all staff is much more conducive to success in the SEC with Brent yeah. Venables, Todd Bates. Like that's an SEC staff. Here's the thing that I have to wonder, because I, I, I think that's a really interesting point, Preston, that I haven't really gotten much put much thought into. Right. And I, I really should have is like, at what point is, is it too much? Um, and I think that the answer to that, is probably like to us, I think the answer is much different than to like the big 10 and the sec. Cause the way I look at this, it's not even about big 10 sec anymore. It's about Fox sports and ESPN. Right. And it's just like, I don't think their greed can be satiated. So I think they'd be perfectly fine to super conference college football out with two conferences, the big 10 and the sec and just have them compete but that really doesn't answer the point you're getting at, Preston, which is like, is this good? And I think that's an entirely different conversation, and I think you're yeah. 100% right there. Um, this is just an interesting situation, man. But I think there's a great point you make, right? If you're in the SEC, this is something I've had to argue, right? People will say, oh, this team right here, like they, they didn't do good. You're in the SEC. You could genuinely be the second best team in the nation, and you're still behind Nick Saban in the SEC, right? Like that's just on a given year. So like there is a little bit difference. Miami and the Big 12 would be awesome. I mean, that'd be such a great win for the Big 12. I, I there, This is just so weird to me because I think Jance said it well. I think everybody's hinted at it. Nothing seems concrete right now. Everything is just talk and there's not much tangible in the air. And it's hard to disseminate between what's tangible and what's just going to be a floating rumor. One more thing that I want to add. If you're a team like Florida State, um, and, I, and I, I'm trying, I have a hard time thinking of another team that would be like Florida State, where you used to be a powerhouse, um, maybe even considered a blue blood, and you're down right now, and there's maybe not a clear path in your conference for you to reclaim that status that you were originally isn't that That's kind a of a pitch point. isn't that a pitch to the that the big 12 can make go to florida state and say hey 
to reclaim your status, come play in our conference where it's up in the air right now who's going to be that team. I, especially with Texas and OU gone. I've yeah, made and, that point. I've made that point so many times, but it's just the fact that money is going to drive the whole situation. Okay. Okay. Well, okay. Well, let me think. Well, let me tell you about this. So in 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 at OU around let's just say eighty five thousand seats. Mm-hmm. Our season tickets are five hundred and that without ticket donations, season tickets are five hundred and fifty dollars a piece. Yeah. That's forty six point seven five million dollars a year. If you can't pack your stadium, who cares what you're making in media rights? Because your media rights are having to make up for lost ticket sales. So wouldn't you have? Wouldn't you rather have? You know, thirty or forty million dollars in media rights, and then forty-six million dollars over here in season ticket sales. Well, not necessarily because that's the point of being in the conference because everybody shares a piece of the pie. Because with OU, I mean, you got to think about it. Kansas is not. I mean, nobody's going to watch it. Kansas, but Kansas is still. Oh, because of OU, Texas, and an Iowa State or a Baylor that pops up or whatever, those schools are able to earn you like thirty. They're getting thirty million dollars as a whole, and then you're being you're able to take money from that. Now you go to an SEC or you go to another conference, and now if the TV deals are right, you're able to take even more of that because you're you're just basically uh, eating off with surplus. So there's more there's more to it than just saying, oh yeah, why don't you come up here and be a premier program? Because it's not given that even if just because they leave the Pac-12, that Arizona is going to come to the Big Twelve and have instant instant success. It's not given. The biggest thing is that these schools are all going to want to uh, be able to have a bigger piece of the pie and be able to have all that that money and be able to. I mean, let's just be real. Who's going to watch the damn Vanderbilt game? Nobody. But we know Vanderbilt is happy to be in the heart of the SEC. <laughs> hey, well, yeah, there you go. Yeah. But everybody wants to go because it's a destination spot. The one of the things you got to also think about is that maybe people don't want to fill the seats because nobody wants to go and go to Utah. Nobody wants to go to Eugene. Nobody wants to go to uh, – man, everybody wants to go to Arizona, but nobody wants to go to – and everybody wants to go to Cal, but nobody wants to go to Washington State. In, in well, it's 115 degrees in Arizona. No yeah. thank you. I, I'm just but saying. I, I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is media rights, mm-hmm. I don't feel like is everything that these schools need to look at when they're deciding what conference they need to be in, right? I think you have to look at it more than just the media rights deal. And also at the same time, how big can these media right deals actually get? Uh-huh. Like ESPN can only put so many teams on ESPN and ESPN2 and ABC in a certain college football Saturday. So okay. you're going to have to expand your days now, Friday and Saturday to be able to give all the teams, you know, time. That's, on not, TV. that's the point of expanding your network and having the SEC network, the uh, ESPN, ESPN two, ABC, you're having them broadcast on all those channels. I think that's a good point, but that's not the principle. I think the have you seen Emperor that- Palpatine sitting next to me over here. <laughs> I'm a little scared. Dance over here has got oh, this yeah. whole vibe like on, he's plotting on, on, on my life over here. Palpatine. Gents, because we've been going, we we we've gone a long time. Gents, you got the last point. Wrap it up, man. Wrap it up for us. Texas by 40. Oh my You've been asking for this, though. I thought he was going to have a real point to add on to the conversation that PG and I were trying to have, and he wants to come in here and say Texas by 40. Texas by 40. He doubled down. A man of few words, but great principle. 
That's all I have to say, man. Something dark side. Well, well, that's fine. That's fine. No, but I'll I'll have the last point, okay? So I'll say this right here, all right? So PG, I think PG makes a great point. I would love to see – I think if you're Oregon, you're saying, hey, especially if you're Washington, you're saying, hey, go to the Big 12, man. It makes the most sense. You'll be able to compete outside of Ohio State, Oregon, who, you, who you've already battled outside now nah, Ohio State, excuse me, outside of Oklahoma State, outside of Utah, the Cincinnati's whenever they're good or whatnot, you're going to be favored. You're going to be in the mix. Everybody's going to be talking about you. You have a chance to go do it. But I think that at the end of the day, the Big Ten and the, and the, and the SEC, what they're offering is just it's it's mind blowing money right now. You know, and not to say the Big 12 can't get there, but it's mind blowing money because they're going to have the brand. They're going to have the brand and the teams, like some of the top brands that like Ty has talked about for a while. But with that said, fellas, we've been going a long time. So I'm going to let everybody go ahead and plug themselves. But before that, just want to give everybody their flowers on here. Hey, thank you guys for coming on here. Guys, you got to check us out. Mondays, we're on the live stream with Ty. We go over all the news. And then, obviously, this show right here, we recap the news, right, <laughs> of everything that's happened thus far. But, man, we're doing – hey, look, we, we do this, like, every Monday, okay? Every Monday, maybe sometimes during the week, whatever the case may be, we do this. I mean, Ty has given us that, that, that platform. We got a lot of other friends, too, that you guys got to check out. Jonathan Lewis, even though they're you know, Texas fans, my guy, Steven – Nick, Nino's Corner. Fanatic. Hey, check out Nino's. I don't have the the link or anything, but Nino uh-huh. just launched a new message board yeah. on his website. Guys, I know it's I it's probably it. a lot of Oklahoma fans, but genuinely, from a content-creating standpoint, Nino is an unbelievable content creator. He's a very thoughtful person. Go show him some love because the amount of passion and work he puts in to yeah. making good content, it, I mean, it's there. It's awesome what he does. But with that being said, everybody go ahead and uh, and, and plug themselves again. So I got PG go. I'll start with you. Yeah, you guys can follow me on Twitter at the PG show underscore. Um, or you guys can follow me on YouTube. Um, trying to upload a lot of interesting interviews. Uh, just kind of give you guys an insight to some of these players before the college football season. Uh, get to know them on a more personable level, not necessarily just a, hey, here's what they can do on the field. So go ahead and check that out. Uh, we just recently ran a poll on Twitter, and uh, it looked like Jaron Kanak was the winner of that one. So I got to figure out how to get them all on there. So y'all either go hit him up in the mentions or whatever. Let's give him the notice us a little bit but uh be waiting for that all right todd yeah so i run around the table sports on youtube i need to get more active on twitter because i just retweet things or i just sit there silently and so like i i need to get better about that if it i mean i'm I'm the least social person you've ever met which is kind of ironic that i do youtube but you can catch me at around the table sports i upload pretty much all daily you'll find me there yeah, man, you guys can catch me, Jen, uh, Jen Sports, YouTube channel over there, uh, Twitter, Jen, you know, Jen716, Instagram, Jen Sports as well. Um, also, you can catch me Tuesdays, uh, you know, of course, Buffalo fan base. You know, we talk pretty much everything about sports, college, you know, NFL talk, especially training camp drama that we're going to, you know, we're going to recap some of the some of the Bills training camp stuff of what's going on over there. I'll be, over, I'll be up in Rochester um, pretty soon next week. So 
Uh, but yeah, man, definitely check out uh, uh, the live streams, especially on Monday with Ty. Um, all of us, you know, for the most part, we'll have a great time. You know, Chris, of course, with you know, with horns down, man. Appreciate you, man, for for definitely having me on, man. And, and definitely, man, horns up, horns up all the way. And um, yeah, that's all I gotta say. So last why'd you do that? Not, He's gonna make an Auburn joke now. But, so last but not least, guys, you can find me at Chris Wood K. It's on the screen. The Horns Down Pod uh, at the Horns Down Pod on Twitter. My guy Seth Oliveris, follow him at Seth, at Seth Oliveris. I'm also groundbreaking news tonight. I'm starting up a Kansas City a Kansas City Chiefs uh, channel, and I'm going to be detailing how they are going to uh, be able to go back to the Super Bowl and oh my gosh. probably probably beat the Bills again. So Man, I don't have want to put that out. Y'all don't have Tyreek anymore to torture us. That's that's that's, that's, that's over with. That's hey. fine. We're not a one man band up there in Kansas City. Go Chiefs, go right. So <laughs> listen, be- uh, you got to be careful with that one. We still have to get past the Chargers, Raiders, and the Broncos now. Exactly, and that West, and that stack West that conference is wild. Yeah, best quarterback Maybe- we have to go against is Mac Jones. Who I respect, respectfully. I love Mac Jones to death. Respectfully, respectfully, respectfully. Huh. But all right, guys, we're gonna end it there. <laughs>